0: Hello, and welcome to Radio Cloud Native from Morantis, where we break down the news on Kubernetes, the cloud-native ecosystem, open source, and the wider world of tech. I'm your host, Eric Gregory, and it's been a minute. Between some product launches in Mirantis' world and KubeCon North America, the fall just flew by. I'll talk a little more about KubeCon at the end, but before we get started, I've got some bittersweet news. This will be the last episode of Radio Cloud Native, at least in its current form. I'm moving on to new things this year, and I'm very excited about those new things, but I'll really miss doing this. If you'd like to keep up with me and what I'm up to, the best way is probably LinkedIn, where you can find me at egregory04. I'm also intermittently on Mastodon at ericgregory at hackaderm.io. That's H-A-C-H-Y-D-E-R-M dot I-O. I'll still be in the cloud-native space, so if you want to say hi at an event or something, please don't hesitate. Looking towards the future, I'd recommend keeping this feed in your podcast app because there have already been conversations about what might come next. And some of those ideas are really cool. I'll certainly be watching the feed and tuning in. In the meantime, we've got a show for you. In this final episode, we'll take a look at Kubernetes 1.29, a tool for creating OCI images of eBBF programs, new ways to live in a simulation of Kubernetes and more. So let's jump right in. The Kubernetes project closed out 2023 with the release of Kubernetes 1.29, codenamed Mandala. This release brings a host of improvements to storage, including both alpha and newly stable features. It also gets a wee bit stricter about the externalization of cloud provider integrations, part of an ongoing process that many users will need to figure into their upgrade plans. Breaking out provider-specific integrations has been a work in progress since 2018, part of the project's overall effort to make vanilla Kubernetes as agnostic as possible to environment and tooling. Some provider integrations have already been completely spun out into external components, i.e. AWS, OpenStack. But others remain compiled into the core Kubernetes source tree, specifically Azure, Google Cloud, and vSphere. Folks using these three providers and wishing to upgrade to version 1.29 will need to make a choice. Set the Disable Cloud Providers and Disable Kubelet Cloud Credential Providers feature gates to false. That's the first one. As you might expect, these feature gates switch off the entry provider integrations. In previous Kubernetes versions with these features gates, feature gates, false was the default. As of 1.29, the default is true. You can simply switch back to the previous behavior, but since entry integrations will be removed in the future, this is a short-term solution. Alternatively, you can move to an external cloud controller manager. External components are available for Azure, Google Cloud, and vSphere, in addition to the previously mentioned AWS and OpenStack. This is the long-term solution and recommended if possible, and the Kubernetes docs provide helpful migration instructions. Version 1.29 also brings some important storage features to general availability, while some brand new features appear in alpha. Read-write-once-pod, The volume access mode in the persistent volume claim spec makes it possible to ensure that only one pod has write and read access to a persistent volume. That's crucial in many cases for data integrity. This mode's been available since Kubernetes 1.22, and now it has hit GA. Next, we've got authenticated storage volume resizing. Also hitting GA is this ability to resize CSI storage volumes in situations where the storage system in question requires permissions for the actions. Kubernetes enables you to expand such a CSI storage node by providing a secret, and now this functionality has graduated. We've also got volume attributes class. Sometimes you might need to modify volume attributes in a predictable pattern, so the new volume attributes class object enables you to define a set of standardized attributes that you can switch between by referencing the class in the persistent volume claim spec. This feature enters alpha with 1.29. Kubernetes 1.29 also brings improvements for Windows support, including pulling images according to runtime class. This alpha feature provides the ability to specify that pods should pull images according to the specified runtime class. This could be helpful for users running Windows Hyper-V containers and VMs. It also brings in-place updates for Windows pod resources. That was already possible, um, especially <laughs> that was already possible with Linux containers. You could change your resource limit and request specifications without restarting the pod, and now Windows container users get the same privilege as an alpha feature. That's not it, of course. If you'd like to check out the rest of the changes in Kubernetes 1.29, check out the official release block. Shifting over to business news, iSurveillance CEO Thomas Graf announced on December 21st that Cisco intends to acquire the company. Isovalent, of course, are the creators of Cilium and have applied a lot of muscle to promoting eBPF in cloud-native circles. According to Graf, quote, as initial talks with Cisco sparked, we didn't have to ask what a potential acquisition would mean for Cilium, Tetragon, and our other projects. It was clear from the beginning that Cisco came to the table with a clear vision to double down on our products and our open-source strategy with a strong commitment to our open-source projects. Open-source has become the way to standardize technology, and cloud-native infrastructure is no exception, unquote. The CNCF-hosted Cilium project reached graduated status in October 2023. Though no acquisition price was listed in Graph's blog post or Cisco's announcement, Anissa Gardizi at The Information reports that Cisco will pay, quote, around $650 million in cash for the startup, or 32 times its annual recurring revenue, unquote. Sticking with the world of eBPF, B. Cameron Gain at the New Stack published an interesting feature on a project from Solo.io called Bumblebee. Not an autobot, alas, but a way to package eBPF programs as OCI images. With an OCI standard wrapper, eBPF developers can adopt a containery workflow of building their programs as OCI images, publishing to a registry, and then running the programs from the image. According to the project ReadMe, Bumblebee, quote, allows you to focus on writing eBPF code while taking care of the user space components, automatically exposing your data as metrics or logs, unquote. If you're eBPF curious and want to play around with Bumblebee, the project's GitHub page provides instructions on how to install the bCLI tool. I found installation and usage on Ubuntu very straightforward, and this seems like a project with great potential for the rapidly accelerating eBPF space. Another project worth checking out is SimCube, a set of tools for simulating Kubernetes clusters. The simulating Kubernetes beat is getting more and more attention as production clusters grow, cloud bills get more expensive, and the stakes of mucking about in production get higher. You might remember we talked about the Quack project a while back which stands for kubernetes without kubernetes simcube is interesting because it's not just a testing ground but sort of a laboratory where you can bring tracing data from your actual cluster and do debugging in a simulated environment it's walled off virtualized and lower risk without all the cloud cost implications the project is still in its early days you can check out the project on GitHub at Acrlabs simcube finally I said we'd talk a little bit about coupon North America Of course, there was a lot of AI hype everywhere you looked, but there was also major interest in Edge, like standing room only sessions uh, on Kubernetes at the Edge. There was a lot of excitement around WebAssembly, which longtime listeners know I'm definitely here for, and I was pleased to see a lot of programming on sustainability, including on the main stage. I have to say I wish I'd seen a little more attendance at the smaller sustainability sessions, but it was heartening to see the hard work a lot of folks are doing across the industry on this topic. I was also lucky enough to present a lightning talk on reducing container image footprint, covering both the cloud-native fundamentals and more cutting-edge approaches like running workloads as WebAssembly modules. You can watch the talk on YouTube now. Just search for the title, A Tiny Talk on Tiny Containers, and I'll also link it in the show notes. If you want to explore running WASM workloads on Kubernetes, I also published a related piece on VM blog called How to Build a Wasm on Kubernetes Development Environment with K0s and Spin, and that'll also be linked in the show notes. Before we finish, I want to thank everyone who has ever been involved with this show. Nick, without whom it never would have existed. DJ, who has been the unseen hand taking every episode live. John, Nika, Sharla, Michelle, Davis, Dave, Lewis, and everyone who has tuned in. To close out, with love to Nick, a final wackadoodle. So NPM kicked off the new year with, and this will shock you, a major malfunction. On December 29th, a user seemingly prank published a package called everything to the registry. And everything did exactly what it said on the 10. It installed every package on the registry. As Laura French in SC Magazine writes, quote, this created a registry-wide web of dependencies that effectively disabled the ability to unpublish packages on the site, as packages that other packages are dependent on cannot be unpublished. The incident triggered responses from developers left unable to unpublish their deprecated or experimental packages as well as criticism from some who viewed the stunt as an abuse of the open-source NPM system, unquote. Reportedly, the pranker did not actually intend to create a massive ongoing failure, and so they attempted to to delete the everything package, only to find that they were unable to do so. So, our final wackadoodle question. Why couldn't the pranker delete the package? Everything depends on itself. Take care, everyone.